I, I should be going, I said, releasing Racina's hand and retreating a step. It was nice to meet you. I tugged my glove back on, my fingers already stinging with the cold. Perhaps I'd take some time this winter to master my fire gifts more precisely. Learning how to warm clothes and skin without burning myself would be mighty helpful. Racina pointed to a building down the street, across the intersection I had just passed through. The same building she'd defended, its walls painted raspberry pink and doors and windows of bright turquoise, like the water around Adriata. I'm one of the artists who uses that studio space over there. If you ever want a guide, or even some company, I'm there most days. I live above the studio. An elegant wave toward the round windows on the second level. I put a hand on my chest. Thank you. Again, that silence. And I took in that shop, the doorway Racina had stood before, guarding her home and others. We remember it, you know. Racina said quietly, drawing my stare away. But her attention had landed on the rubble behind us, on the boarded-up studio, on the street, as if she too could see through the snow to the blood that had run between the cobblestones. That you came for us that day. I didn't know what to do with my body, my hands, so I opted for stillness. Racina met my stare at last, her ochre eyes bright. We keep away to let you have your privacy. But don't think for one moment there isn't a single one of us who doesn't know and remember. Who isn't grateful that you came here and fought for us? It hadn't been enough. Even so, the ruined building behind me was proof of that. People had still died. Racina took a few unhurried steps toward her studio, then stopped. There's a group of us who paint together at my studio, one night a week. We're meeting in two days' time. It would be an honor if you joined us. What sort of things do you paint? My question was soft, as the snow falling past us. Racina smiled slightly. The things that need telling. Welcome to the House of Wind Book Club. I'm Hannah. And I'm Amber. This is a fan podcast where we discuss our current book obsession. We're going to break down chapters, characters, themes, and, let's be honest, gossip about our theories relevant to the magical, fairy-filled lands of Prithian. Just so you know, this podcast will contain spoilers and is explicit. We swear and we talk dirty. If you don't get worked up over the phrase, grab the headboard, or hello, Farrah darling, then proceed with caution. We hope you enjoy being a part of our book club. Stay smutty. Happy holidays. You got to do the backup part. (laughs) Happy holidays. (laughs) Oh, happy holidays. If you celebrate any winter holidays, it's that time of year. So happy holidays to you from the House of Wind Book Club, guys. Absolutely. We hope you're all cozied up listening to this. I guess maybe you're in the car at the gym, but if you are cozied up, enjoy. Yes. We're we're still we're still feeling pretty cozy in this part of the book. You know, it's we still are. like winter and 
you know, things are getting a little heated in certain aspects, but it's still cozy. Yeah. We'll cherish it while we can. While we can. Absolutely. <laughs> while it lasts. <laughs> oh, boy. All righty. Anything that you want to touch on before we jump into this episode? I don't think so. We have a couple of fun announcements, so let's talk about that. Let's do it. First off, as you guys know by now, as a beautiful listener of our podcast, you can get a free month trial on Audible as well as a free title. And you can find that at www.audibletrial.com slash House of Wind. Okay, let's do a little reading update. We haven't done that in a couple of episodes because obviously a while back, a few weeks back, we read Iron Flame and we covered that. Yes. But I have to tell all of you. I found a smutty book that I am absolutely, absolutely obsessed with. Um, It's called Pucking Around, and it's by Emily Rath. Um, And right before it, you can read that one night. It's it's a novella that kind of sets up Pucking Around. It's not a necessity, but it's a really short read, so I would read it. It was really quick pucking around um and also just know that pucking around is a long book but it's worth it's worth every damn page it's so (laughs) good it's so good it's uh a reverse harem book with a little bit there's just so many things that happen there is people exploring their sexuality with polyamory with bisexuality with you you name it, it's in this book. It is phenomenal. I can't wait to finish it. I'm like partway through it now. <laughs> I'm I'm so excited. And once you get to the way this book is, is like, you know, tensions are going to break. You know, mm-hmm. they're going to break and you know, they're going to break. Once they break, it does not slow down and it just keeps going for hundreds of pages. Yes. So good. Oh, wonderful. I yeah, I need a fast paced. I, I need that. <laughs> Yeah, I need that. <laughs> I'm also listening, re-listening to Crescent City. Mm-hmm. And I started it a couple weeks back and was just going to like casually listen to it when I drive to work and stuff. And per usual, the first like couple hours of listening to it, I was like, okay, listening to like 20, 30 minutes at a time. And once I got through that initial part, I have been powering through like I go on a walk, I listen to the book. I go to the gym, I listen to the book. I'm cleaning the house, I listen to the book. So I'm almost done. Nice. Uh, done both of them? Just no, no. Just the first oh, one. The first one. I was like, damn, Amber. Yeah. So I was <laughs> nice. I was planning like a casual re-listen. Uh-huh. Um, and I was like, oh, I hope I get through it by the time the third one comes out at the end of January. Mm-hmm. I will absolutely be through it. Perfect. I think I'm I'm going to start listening, re-listening to that because I have been Christmas crafting and it's really hard to like physically read while you do that, which is why I've been moving at a glacial pace with pucking around. Mm-hmm. It's so good, but like I'd never have time to read it. So I think maybe I have one credit on Audible. Maybe I'll get pucking around on Audible. Ooh, and then let me know if that's a good one on Audible because I would keep that forever. I will let you forever. know. I'll keep you posted. You know I'm weird about like sexy time and audible. Sometimes it can be weird if the narrator but isn't good. There's the narrator no- has to have a good voice. Yes, it's a cheesy thing- male voice. I don't like it. Sure, it makes me feel icky. 
Yeah. And I think a part of that is kind of how the sex is written as well. That Mm -hmm. might be one of my favorite parts about Emily Rath is the way that she writes these sex scenes is like, it's just so natural. It's so organic. It's not, it doesn't feel awkward at all. Like some really, really spicy scenes do, but it Uh still makes your eyes bulge out of your head and your jaw hit the floor in the best (laughs) way possible. Oh, I can't wait. I'm going to text you every spicy scene and and tell you my thoughts. Please. Please do. And if any of you have read it, I I have been just desperate to talk to someone about this. We need to start a pucking around book club. Oh, man. I would reread that book again and again. No questions asked. I love it. That's amazing. I'm loving it so far. I love all the like... My favorite thing, which I thought I wouldn't like, I do love all the cheesy hockey, like, um, <laughs> like where when the character will be like, she's putting me on ice or whatever, like, it, like how it's like themed for hockey. And I love that. And I also love if you guys haven't seen this account, they're called the Stinky Pinkies. And oh my they're, God. have you, I've shown you in Casey this. It is hilarious. They have like, this hockey team and they're not an NHL team. They're kind of like one of the, like, I don't even think they're like a minor league team. I think they're just a fun league, but the team reads smut together. And I think they started with icebreaker, which I haven't read yet, but (laughs) they like have clips of the players of like the new players (laughs) reading it. And now they have like a smutty book club and they have like shirts and everything that say like stinky pinkies, smutty book club. (laughs) <laughs> it's amazing i love it it's great i think men should read more of the stuff like it's very insightful into what it's so a lot good. of us want you know so good. all right oh man moving on patreon patreon um so check out our patreon for those of you who are current members if you're interested in becoming a member you can just you can find the link in our bio um in november we posted an iron flame video the same exact episode that we posted on our platforms spotify apple wherever you listen um but it also has a video so you can kind of see our raw reactions to kind of talking to each other and things like that which is fun and then also check out our december release which was our reactions to unhinged (laughs) okay this is my fun thing that i wanted to tell you about We are officially adding a second tier to our Patreon. We mentioned it last week and we are solidifying it this week. We are adding a second tier to our Patreon that is going to start in January of 2024. So prior to this, and I guess as of now, December, we have the one tier. It's called the Inner Circle. And for those of you who aren't Patreon members, what this entails is uh, we post about one video a month and then we kind of intermittently post just like general things in between that Mm -hmm. but we do things like fanfic reactions and reviews we talk about our spicy reads we have something coming down the pike like our favorite sex scenes from different books um all sorts of different things we have a q a that we did early on things like that so like i said that's about one post or one video per month Mm -hmm. we are going to add a tier two and this is going to be called the valkyries So obviously in tier two, you'll get everything from tier one, as well as this tier two, which is what we're going to focus on in this tier two is SJM specific things. So think 
Crescent City reaction videos after that comes out. Um, Akatar extra chapter reaction videos. As well as a fun little bit, we are going to do some live interactions with both Hannah and I. So whatever platform this will be on, maybe we'll do it on Zoom or whatever. We'll do things like a Q&A. We might even do like an open discussion of theories because at our Minneapolis meetup, we found that this was so much fun talking to all of you about just like general theories that it would be really, really awesome to open the door to have that conversation with people, all of our listeners and all of our followers and all of our Patreon members. Um, And then also we've kind of dabbled in doing like a book club together and then we'll meet virtually once a month to talk about whatever book we decide we want to do that. So that will be approximately one additional video a month. Um, So right now our tier one is $5 and then our tier two is going to be $9 a month. So please DM us if you have questions or you want more specifics, but this will start in January of 2024. Yes. And A lot of the reasoning behind that, too, is it takes us a lot of prep work to do anything SJM related because it's a lot of work for us to put those things together because the universe is so broad. Um, But I am looking forward to doing like the Q&A's or the theories live chat where we can talk with each other because you're right. That was like the best part of the meetup was just nerding out over SJM things. So it's going to be a really fun time. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. And that's also a really good opportunity for us to meet those of you who are, you know, like really want to talk to us, want to have that that family, that community feeling. And, and mm-hmm. we want to have that with you. We want to kind of open this to be more than just Hannah and I talking and then us talking with you over like Instagram DM. Like we want to have live virtual interactions with you all so we can get to A, know you better and B, you all are going to teach us so much about the Akatar universe and SJM universe in general, and I'm just very excited to dive deeper into it with all of you. Oh, yeah. And I think it will be fun, too, to not just expand the connection between us and you guys as listeners, but also to facilitate more listener-to-listener interaction because it's really hard to do that on Instagram. Just, like, commenting back and forth, I think it'd be cool to, you know build more of a community aspect where you have you may find someone in our live chat where you're like oh I really drive with like what they were saying or you know maybe they live near you or something and you know that sort of thing we want to start a general community where people can kind of share their love for these books and other books as well so hopefully that's the way it goes (laughs) heck yeah um so yeah let us know if you have any more questions about that but we're looking forward to doing that starting in a few weeks here yes okay back to our world let's talk about last episode last episode was we we opened the book and started off with a shifting of perspective from Farah to reese to Cass in the first three chapters and it was almost bittersweet you know, everyone is still in bit a bit of a daze about the fact that they're all alive, um, which is just alarming. Like they don't, they're not really allowing themselves to believe it yet, especially Reese. Um, yeah, Reese for sure. 
Yeah. <laughs> Reese and Farah are working so hard in efforts to rebuild Valaris and establish relationships within the realm and maintain leadership, while Cass is hard at work managing the Illyrian war camps and their building emotions about their last their lost loved ones in the war with Hyburn because we know that they took the highest casualties. Mm-hmm. So Reese in particular has a lot of pent-up sexual energy, simply needing and wanting to be with Farah. And um we also get a small window into how Nesta is doing, which is not well. New. At the end of the last chapter, Cass is flying over his old village, and we get the full story of what happened with his mother and what he did in retribution. So, for the first time, Farah and Reese are content and happy, but Cass isn't faring well, and we don't like our little sweet baby Cass upset. Protect Cass at all costs. Yeah, but in natural Cass fashion, he's like he's managing fine. You mm-hmm. just know that, like, the undercurrents are there, and they're rough. Yeah, I feel like he does it. I do like how she writes him in his current state, where it's not, he's not, like, sulky, or, you know, how Lucian can be a little sulky. Mm-hmm. It's it's just kind of, he's, like, he is open and vulnerable enough to have let uh, them know that he's not really doing great, but he's also not making, like, a big huge like woe is me deal about it which i i like about him (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. for sure okay chapter four this chapter starts with farah shopping for christmas presents so naturally our girl is landing in the artist's area of valaris and we're we're still stuck in flashback central which makes sense um but she can't help to have some flashbacks to the day the adder came knocking and she summoned her pack of wolves. And she's like having this flashback while she's looking in the mirror of a shop. And when uh-huh. she snaps out of her trance, she's like, oh, shit, there are a lot of people gawking at me. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. <laughs> yeah. So she's like, oh, OK. She just continues walking and she's thinking about her beautiful city. I mean, this city is truly fun. It's it's gorgeous. It's perfect. It's everything she didn't know she needed. Mm-hmm. And there, the city is built built well, but there are only about two blocks of homes that are considered like quote unquote run down. And Nesta naturally wished to take up residence there. So with that little tidbit just thrown at us she also realized that the artist quarters still they still hold the scars from that day and there are intermittent buildings that are terribly run down they're they're ruined they're drained of color and life and she can't help but think who was in there did they get out what's wrong with them you know Mm -hmm. are they still here what's going on and so again she's standing staring kind of stuck in a trance at one of these buildings when she was startled by a voice that simply said they made it out on time and it's the woman from the day with the adder the one uh. who was wielding the brass pipe and just ready to defend the innocence at the shop and i i have full body goosebumps i have full body goosebumps yeah what an absolute badass goddess just what a legend love her uh. <laughs> 
So then Farah asks, after she kind of recovers herself from being so startled, she asks about yet another building. But the woman looked at her and said the owner of that building, Polina, had a far less happy ending. Mm. But when Polina was alive, the rundown building was actually her gallery for centuries. Centuries. And her family now lives out of town. But the gallery is for sale. Wink, wink. Hint, hint. Nudge, nudge. <laughs> nudge, nudge. My high lady. <laughs> and Farrah's like five steps behind at this point. She's like, wait, what? That's not why I was asking. What? Sheesh. But Racina can like, well, now that we, sorry, we learned that's her name. But I love that she can like see through her where she's just uh-huh. kind of like, this is what you need. Like how she can already see that. And Farrah's like, just like, what? what, what? <laughs> she's like every little like old lady like in beauty and the beast like the like she's like every old lady that like knows everything she's like the the magical witch of the village that just knows everything and if you're on her good side you're really on her good side you know i love it so wise um but yeah so so we learned her name and she actually lives above an artist gallery down the road and she kind of like fairy like nods her understanding and Christina tells Farah, you know, the door is always open. Door's always open. And it's just, it's so heartwarming. It's just like this, this little interaction is one of our first interactions with the people of Valaris in a nonviolent context without Reese there. Very good point. Yes. So it's just like her first true high lady moment of interacting with the people of Valaris in her purest form. And even, too, as an artist interacting with another artist, none of True. her friends, no one else in the story so far has really shared an artistic passion like she does. So mm-hmm. it's it's almost like she's found a kindred spirit of sorts. Right. You know, which is nice. Yes. And so Farah, as she kind of went to leave, Racina simply said, we remember, you know, we keep away to let you have your privacy, but don't think. For one moment, that there isn't a single one of us who doesn't know and remember, who isn't grateful that you came here and fought for us. I love this, and I feel like Farah needed this. I think so, too. And Farah's not the type to seek out this praise or necessarily even desire it. No. But still receiving it just hits different. Then, as Racina took a few retreating steps, she offered an olive branch. So, not only is the door always open, but she says, Hey, we, a group of us, paint once weekly, and it would be an honor if you were to join us. And when Farah asked what they paint, all Racina said was, The things that need telling. I love this so freaking much. I love that art is used as a form of therapy as a continuing theme throughout this book because art is so important. I feel like here in the United States, compared to like Europe or other parts of the world, 
we don't really put a lot of emphasis on the arts. We don't deem them as important as, you know, the sciences or other things like that. But art is so valuable because when you make art, you're taking a piece of yourself and you're putting it out into the world. And then the cool thing is other people can look at it and they can be like, oh, I also have this thing in me or a part of me recognizes that too. And it's just so healing. And I love this. I love this as a theme through this book. I love it. Mm-hmm. Agreed. <sighs> so Farah just continues to walk. And to our pleasant surprise, more joined her on the hunt for a present for Amran. Because she, Amran, and everyone honestly deserves a damn good present after the events of last book. Yes. <laughs> and so they're kind of like bickering, bantering, not even bickering, just kind of like going back and forth about what to get everyone. And it's all just blissfully normal. It's so normal. It's just a couple of girls shopping for Solstice presents. And again, they desperately need this normal moment. These normal, these small little normal moments. I I just love it. But it's short-lived because we soon realize more found Farah for a purpose. Mm-hmm. To tell her that they're going to the Hewn City tonight, as tradition dictates. Wah, wah. Yay. Woo. So, so excited. <laughs> and also, like, you couldn't tell her a little bit earlier than the day of. Like, I don't, I can handle change pretty well. But, mm-hmm. like, even, like, when I work on call, if I tell someone, if I tell my scheduler, hey, I can work this day and this day this actually happened to me today i can work this day and this day and this day and i don't hear anything and i woke up this morning and i hadn't been scheduled for a shift and i woke up this morning and i was like well what the fuck i don't know if i'm gonna work or not it's just like those last minute plans like if she would have told me yeah we want you to come in i would have been like no (laughs) yeah i that is that (laughs) riley never understands that i hate that i hate that so much i hate for i'm for as like open-minded and very overall i'm a pretty flexible flexible person yeah like we can change plans in the middle of a plan or like anything like that but if i have my mind set like i don't and it's really only work related if i'm like i only have to work this much or even running i'm gonna run this many miles and then i have to change it where it's like (laughs) the next morning they're like actually jk you do have to work or show up and they're like we're running five more miles than you planned. And then I'm like, fuck that. But like, you might be. I'm not. <laughs> yeah, not me. <laughs> I can't. I'm the same way about that. I hate that. So yeah, that is. I so just, funny. I can't do it. Yeah. So anyway, if I were to get this news that we're going to this atrocious place, like a few hours before we go, I'd be like, no, no, thanks. <laughs> I'm sick. <laughs> anyway. More Reese and Farah are the only ones that are going to go. And they're about to see just how close Eris and Kier have become. They're getting cozy. Speaking of cozy. <laughs> A little <Fuckers>. too cozy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Chapter five. Farah is half asleep reading on the bed when Reese finally returns. And he looks bone tired 
but he insists he can still go to the Hewn City to look in on Eris. And then we get this adorable interaction where Feyre, like, finds out that Reese hasn't eaten, and she kind of, like, <laughs> mother hens him and, like, goes to get him food. I love this, because she's like, have you eaten? And he's like, it's fine. It's fine. I don't need any food. She's like, yeah, fuck that. I'm going to go get you some food, dude. You need to eat. Everyone needs to eat. Uh, so <laughs> when she comes back, he answers the door in his underwear, and he's like trying to come on to her multiple times, like trying to pull her close. like, And she's like, you need to eat your food first. <laughs> to which he replies, quote, then I'll eat you after. Fuck. Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. I'm fanning myself. (laughs) Oh my God. Like who says these things? I just, I love him. Then we get, (laughs) we get more like fussing between the two of them. And we learn that while Farah has been concerned over Reese's eating habits, Reese has been flipping the script and has been, like fussing over her and caring for Pharaoh while her period has been happening, which apparently now as a fae has been amplified because it only happens twice a year. And that you may be thinking, oh, wow, that sounds amazing. Only two periods a year. Sign me up, y'all. No, it sounds horrendous. Like imagine your worst period pain. And then it's like apparently in your entire body what like Farah even says it's all like she almost passed out multiple times the pain was so bad like she describes it as like head to toe pain yeah like pain like lancing down her arms her legs her head like everything yeah so um in the would you rather game would you rather have a normal period once a month or a monster period twice a year i'm gonna say a normal period once a month I don't know, man. You're talking to a girly with endometriosis, so. (laughs) True. True. Imagine if your periods were normal. (laughs) Oh, then I, yeah, I'd take a normal period. Choose that. For sure. You're like, I have a monster. I have a monster period once a month. (laughs) I'm just trying to imagine if, like, six of my monster periods would be one of Farah's monster periods. And, like, just imagining all of those happening at once, I think I'd still rather take. The once a month. Oh, yeah. I yeah. that I mean, because at least if you're having a normal. Like a, a normal period. And that's my thing where it says twice a year. How many days is this lasting, though? Like, true. You know what I mean? Like, it seems like it's more than a one day affair. Is this a week long thing that happens twice a year? Oh, fuck that noise. Mm-mm. Yeah, that's it sounds Hell terrible. No. Hell to the no, to the no, 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 hell to the no. (laughs) Sorry that we're singing a lot to you guys in this episode, but you're used to it by now. If you were in person friends with me, you'd know that I sing about everything I do. So I'm really scaling it back for the podcast. True. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Magical. I try. But what is sweet is that the inner circle and Reese all took care of her. And Reese even, like, changing her underwear for her on the days where she, like, could barely move. And her initial reaction to it being like, oh, I'm sorry, like, this is gross. I'm gross. Don't, you don't need to do this. And he's just like, blood is blood. And 
I love this. I love that her period, like they are treating her period like it's not some secret or shameful thing like we're taught it to be in the Western part of the world. Um, And honestly, anywhere in the world. like Anywhere, I'm sure. I'm just speaking to my (laughs) personal experience. But yes, I feel like everywhere it's like that. Humans have a horrible, horrific, brutal track record when it comes to like traditional practices with menstruation and what menstruation means and if you can be in certain places when you're menstruating and i mean oh god if you look at just like so many different there are some like religions that kind of it's it's this beautiful wonderful thing right Mm -hmm. there are some cultures where it is cherished but there are a lot of cultures where you are seen as Im- impure, unholy. Yep. Just not a- like you can't interact in society be- when you are menstruating. It's Ew. horrible. <laughs> and I just feel like there's just this general fear and misunderstanding and just general misconceptions when it comes to the female body in general um even sometimes for us as women like we don't fully understand everything that comes with like bearing a child or you're just not really informed it's almost like you have to take extra steps to learn about your own body and then you think about the people who are making laws and regulations about your body who aren't even female that just makes it seem a little bit scarier but right and even things like the pink tax it's it's yep. absolutely insane yeah it's ridiculous and, and you're and just like go ahead no you go ahead <laughs> i was just gonna say and then like the amount of pain that women go through on a monthly basis that a lot of women experience on a monthly basis that literally our solution is birth control it's which always is always the solution yeah putting a bunch of bunch of shit in your body yes which is like it's amazing that it exists but you can't help but at least I can't help but imagine what it would be like if if men were to be the ones that experienced this pain on a monthly basis, what kind of alternative solutions we would have? What kind of practical pain management and just symptom management and you know, for a lot of women who have autoimmune things or whether it's endometriosis or PCOS or god knows or just you have shitty periods even if you don't have anything else like what could our options be if we weren't comfortable or if we weren't okay with just saying, okay, birth control. Yep. It's, and it's like the thing that gets slapped on everything. Like the number of times I've gone to my doctor and with like excruciating pain from an assist on my ovary rupturing or something like that. And just being like, Oh, well, you know, just heat, whatever. And it's like, Okay, I guess there's no other solutions at all for a uterus or ovaries or any female sex organ. So it's just, it's horrible because the female body, and I know this is a tangent, but it's something I feel very strongly about. And then also just throughout my deconstruction process, I've felt more of a passion of just feeling like very empowered being a woman uh just it's a fucking beautiful thing our bodies you have the option to grow a human being inside of your body that is 
take that in. That is amazing. For those of you listeners who have birthed a child, you are a fertile goddess. You are incredible. You are a warrior. I am mind blown by by growing and birthing a human or just carrying a human, any of it. If you've done any of it, it's you are amazing. I just can't I can't picture why it's such a shameful thing. Like our periods are what make us able to do that. That is a part of the cycle of life. I it's just frustrating that it's labeled as a gross thing, but that's why I like I feel like within our friend group, you and I are always very vocal about our female issues or if we're on our period or whatever. And both of our partners are very much like, oh, can we help with something? Or they're not like, why are you guys talking about that? So yeah, God, no. I I hope that everyone has a small group, at least that they've cultivated where they can be open, you know, about sometimes the struggles and pain that it is to be a woman and normalizing that right and and like not just the physical but the like the emotional pain too because yes you you have this beautiful wonderful opportunity to bear a child if you desire that um or you know you also have the emotional burden of if you if you do want to and you're unable to so Mm -hmm. or for whatever reason under the sun that could be impacting that for you so yes again we are we are a very open podcast we are very open people you know for anyone who has bore a child who wishes to bear a child who is unable to bear children we're here we see you we feel you yes we get you you're you're beautiful and amazing mm-hmm. uh, okay moving on from that super light topic <laughs> Farah also has this at least for me very relatable moment of wondering like on that vein of us just talking about that of like how it's rare for the fae to conceive in general right it's not we've talked about this before it's not a common thing fae youngling are very cherished because of their rarity and farah is having this kind of like moment of wondering if it's worth them continuing to wait to try for a a baby or if they should just keep using the contraceptive brew which is always comical to me the brews and teas and barks and shit that people take where are these in real life can i I just drink a tea every day like can 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 my partner drink a tea like come on yeah i'd like to get off the yeah (laughs) why don't we make it a partner thing yeah exactly which i think she says reese has been drinking the brew so it is cool Mm -hmm. also that reese is taking some of that burden as well but farah feels like life is too busy for a child right now and she doesn't really feel like anything is missing from her life which i feel like girl yeah i was gonna say girl this is such a relatable thing i feel like for both of us and stop me if i'm wrong but just of the societal norm of telling you like you know like you're 30 or you're in your late 20s like it's it's time like you should be having kids but you may not feel that desire yet nor like anything is missing and so i i liked this little moment with pharaoh where it's kind of like but i feel that too of well i did turn 30 and you know there's everything that comes with that in your body (laughs) as a woman too so again talking about that emotional burden of what it is to be to be female um so 
again, she doesn't feel like anything's missing. And she does often think of the son that the bone carver showed her. So that's extra trippy, though. Could you imagine if someone, if someone like not even just appeared as your future child, but like showed you a picture and was like, this is the baby you and Ben are going to have at some point. And then how would you get your brain off of that? That would be enough for me to be like, okay. Right. I want them. I want uh, them. Let's do it. (laughs) So it's just, it's, I feel like that's extra trippy. Mm -hmm. Oh man. But it's a mind fuck for sure. (laughs) So Pharaoh looks back on telling Nessa and Elaine very awkwardly because of Nessa and Elaine about what your cycle is like as a fae female. And did we expect anything different than what happened? Nesta just stared <laughs> coldly. And it's just kind of like, sure, could have could have known that being Faye comes with a worse period. Great. Cool. Thanks, Vera. <laughs> and then Elaine just like blushed and whispered about like how it was improper to talk about such things. <sighs> they both kill me. I... <sighs> They're, they're both kind of getting on my nerves this book to be completely they're just, honest with they're you they're so emotionally immature yeah they just mm, yeah it's like come on you can talk about your period like you're talking about it with your sister it's not like Farah brought it up in front of like Lucian and Cassian and Reese like there's just like sisters chatting like what oh my god anyways Farah. <laughs> knows that Nesta will try and endure the pain alone. Uh, and Farah desperately wants to help her. I mean, it, it's not something that you should be going through by yourself, it sounds like. It's truly, you need a person there to help you. Like, you're unwell. You are sick. Um, And she knows that Elaine will be too polite, but will she'll let Lucian help her, even though she probably doesn't want Lucian to help her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That so, whole situation is just so awkward. That whole, the Lucian and Lane situation makes me feel really uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> on both, for both of them on both ends, like, it's just not good. Yeah, it's not comfy. It's, no. It's not cozy. This does boring. not fit with our cozy theme. Get it out. It's not cozy vibes. Get out. Uh, yeah, it's bordering on toxic, to be completely honest with you. It's, Whereas every, like, Reese and Farah are like your... Like your cozy, uh, like autumn winter outfit with like like we talked about, baggy sweater, maybe some leggings or some jeans, like your favorite pair of jeans. Where like Lucian and Elaine are like your jeans that are that you wore five years ago that are two sizes too small. Uh, you're like, and you're wearing like an itchy wool something like hand me down from your second cousin that stinks and feels like sandpaper. Like, yes. that's what their relationship feels like. It's a great analogy. I love that. And right after you ate way too much at Thanksgiving. Yeah. Just yep. add that in there, too. It's not, a, it's not a stretchy waistband, which I made the mistake of this year. I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, yeah. Rookie <sighs> move, mistake. Hannah. I don't, yeah, of all people, I should have known. You know yes. I love to put away some Thanksgiving food. Well, and yeah, you just, you know better. Come on. I know better. Get it together. Get it together. Oh. <sighs> All right. I hope you guys didn't make my mistake. And the winter holidays are coming up. Wear stretchy pants for the love of God. Just wear sweatpants. Comfort over style. Yeah, it's fine. 
Oh, man. So we get more insight here into Illusion these days. And it seems like Lucian comes around and Elaine, like, entertains it. Like, she allows that to happen. But she just ignores him until he gets the hint and leaves. And I hate this for Lucian. I feel like Lucian is trying to give her space, but also trying to. I mean, he think about the mating bond and how like what he's feeling and how he probably needs to be near her. And so he's trying to give her her space, but also trying to be like, hey, I like would like to be your friend or get to know you in some capacity or help you. in. like, I feel like he's just a very giving partner. So I think it's really hard for him for I can relate as a giving person. It's hard when people won't allow you to give. That is really hard. And so I can see this from Lucian's perspective of this must be tough. Mm -hmm. Honestly, all three of the Archeron sisters did this to their mates. True. They did. They're all all three of us for as different little people are. They all have the same toxic traits. God, that's awful. Yeah, because, and I think Farah's came more from a, like, just, like, general, she didn't understand Reese and his motivations or him as a person at all. Yeah, hers so at least like makes sense. Hers makes sense, but the other two, I'm like, these come guys, on. you didn't come into it thinking that Cassian and Lucian were, like, scary, evil Villain. Evil. <laughs> Evil. <laughs> Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy for life. Love them. But yeah, like, like Cassian has very much always approached Nesta with kindness, humor, understanding, compassion. Same with Lucian, just minus the humor. Like, just very overall gentle, I feel, for the like quite brutish like parts of them you know so it's mm-hmm. just it's ugh, i hate it i hate it so then we snap back to reality because we've just been floating around in pharaoh's mind once again snap back to reality as reese asks pharaoh where she just went mentally and just when you think face and can't get any cuter we learn that they have both been allowing each other the space to talk through their individual traumas and we see that Reese has been working through a lot of what happened under the mountain and like telling Farah things that happened to him there. Because as we know, Farah doesn't know everything. And so we get this picture of him divulging things one by one to her and her just kissing away his tears while she listens. And I love them. <laughs> Everyone yeah. else is toxic, but they're. They're great. They're doing it right. They're so great. They are saving this book for me. Okay. <laughs> so Farah tells Reese she is thinking about Elaine and Lucian. And she asked if Lucian is coming to Solstice. And we see here that Reese still hasn't forgiven Lucian for how he treated Farah after Under the Mountain. Even though it seems as though Farah has forgiven Lucian. Because I feel like Feyre and Lucian are in a really good place right now. Mm -hmm. And then we see that tensions are tight between Reese and Nesta, too. 
Because Risa is also angry over Pharaoh's childhood. And we know this has been a running theme with Reese from the moment he learned about Nesta letting him her go out into the woods as a child and doing nothing. But Farah tells him, you're going to have to forgive her eventually because they're family. Mm-hmm. And I get that. I do have a problem with Reese saying he's fine with Elaine because, quote, she's Elaine. I just feel like Elaine gets a pass because she's a soft, gentle person. And I she's just think they're acceptably both- womanly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she's palatable as a woman. She's, you know, tolerable. And so Reese is like, oh, it's just a little baby Elaine. Like, she is fine. She's Elaine. And I hate that. I fucking hate that. I'm like, no, they were both her older sisters. It's mm-hmm. not like Elaine is significantly younger than Nesta and is nope. like about the same age as Farah. No, they're both older than her. And older siblings are like, that's part of the responsibility. Or at least, or like, at least like shouldering some of it, like yes. talking about it, ex- like, or even just saying, I'm sorry, that was shitty of me. I shouldn't have done that. I was in a bad place, right. but it shouldn't have been all on you. Some, like, literally anything. Or, yes. Yes, or, like, reverse back or, like, rewind back to when it was actually happening. Like, make a game plan so you all three can learn to hunt. You all three can work together. You all three can do these things. Like, like or, we had to beg we had to beg Nesta to go chop wood, and we didn't even bother asking Elaine to do anything. Yeah, like, that's the how thing. Do we, Share the chores. What a bunch of bullshit. It is. Like, if Farrah's the one who's good at hunting, fine. That's fine. That's like, that's like, I'd rather cook dinner than my husband do it because it tastes better when I do it. Like, and it's faster and it's yummier. Okay. That's great. But my husband can do the dishes. Like, that's the thing where like these people, like Farah can go out and hunt. Elaine can clean up the house and chop the wood and Nesta can like clean the animal and cook the food or something. Like, why? Yes. Are we all just doing nothing? And Pharaoh's literally doing it all. And with that's no just, thanks. No thanks. No offer of help. Yeah. It's yeah, just no. Mm. This is, this is, yeah. Uh, this is a, a missed moment for Reese. And I think, you know, I think a lot of us are prone to doing that for people who are, you know, typically pretty kind and sweet and kind of bend to others. Um, are typically the ones that obviously can be forgiven or we can push it off as, oh, they're, oh, they're nice. Oh, they're sweet. Or they're, you know, and maybe this is just a little bit of my perspective coming out to play mm-hmm. because I am a little more um, strong willed and mm-hmm. I'm a little sharper with my words, especially in times where I'm like, feel passionately about something. You know, I'm not, I'm not someone that backs down from things. Mm-hmm. Um, so. You know, I I just think that it's harder for people to swallow it when it comes to particularly women that are a little bit spicier. Um, it's oh, just yeah. easier. It's just easier to kind of be like, well, they did this. They get what's coming for them. Like, yes. Where someone else who's kind of nice and soft can do the same exact thing. And they're like, it's OK. Yeah. Don't be it's, sad. And it's interesting to see Reese kind of falling into that here but again it makes him kind of a realistic figure here where mm-hmm. i do love that 
Pharaoh is kind of like, it's on both of them. If you feel that way about Nesta, you have to feel that way about Elaine too. Mm-hmm. It's not one or the other. It's both. And so I do like that they kind of had that little bit of a conversation there, which is needed, I think. I agree. So then Reese prompts my favorite thing between them, as you guys know, a thought for a thought. Fair darling. And Fair tells him of her time in the artist quarter earlier that day and being invited to paint with Racina. And she's not excited about it because she hasn't painted in a while and she feels really guilty spending time painting and doing something that she loves when people in Valaris still don't have homes. And because Pharaoh uses her painting like therapy, she's also afraid of what will pop up to paint when she does start painting. And I do love that she's being open about this um, because I feel like she wasn't able to be open about it with Tamlin. So I like that she's able to kind of talk about that with Reese. Agreed. For sure. So Reese encourages her to go. And to start painting in general again. And he even offers any place in the house. We can turn it into a studio. You can paint there. Whatever you need. We can make it happen. And he then reminds her of her birthday being on solstice. <laughs> uh, and she, when she bemoans telling him, he replies, quote, You were born on the longest night of the year. You were meant to be mine from the very beginning. Oh, oh. Oh, I love that. Oh, Reese. Oh, Reese. Oh, so good. I love them. Man. Yes. So Reese begins feeling her up. And she asks for his thought in the midst of these, like, entangled, passionate moments. And he tells her about the time she tackled him in the snow with perfect form when she first winnowed. And how he wanted to get them naked right then and there. And I love this because this is before Feyre, like, really was aware of her feelings for Reese, And she was mad. She was very mad. (laughs) And he tells her that she drove him crazy. And he is actually still in disbelief that she's his. And she then divulges that she wanted him even when she was under the mountain. And she tried to blame it on the general circumstances of everything, but she could always be open with him. And so it was almost like her heart knew they were meant for each other before her head knew. I love it because it's so true. I feel like that, that again, we just talked about that of how she had this thing holding her back, right? That Reese is the bad guy. Like I can't like this guy. He's the mm-hmm. he's horrible. Like yep. he's the reason we're in this mess. And so yeah, it's fuck him. Yeah, right. But also like fuck him. Yeah. Um <laughs> so yeah, I I love that she had conflicting feelings then. So they both exchange I love you's and Reese telling her, quote, I love you more than life, more than my territory, more than my crown. Mm. And he grabs her thighs and pins her to the bed and telling her all, <laughs> all I want for solstice is, is you. Oh, someone get us a record deal. <laughs> we'll just do Stat. Prithian mashup remixes. Jeez but 
tells her all he wants for Solstice is just her in bed for a week as he grinds his hips against her. <laughs> that sounds like a great vacation. Sign me Yes. <laughs> Farrah jokes that even as High Fae, they don't have that kind of stamina for <laughs> a week straight. And his favorite part wouldn't function after that long. And he tells her, well, she'll just have to kiss his favorite part to make it better. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I love the sexy banter. And then she reaches down to grip him through his underwear. And then he just makes his underwear disappear. These are the moments I wish magic existed. Honestly. Just, just pants are gone. Love it. And Farah reminds him they need to get ready to leave. <laughs> and he's just not having it. And both of them are just so hot and bothered. But then they get cock blocked by Moore. Who oh is knocking us. At the door, reminding them they have to leave in 30 minutes and it takes Reese two hours to get ready. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love their dynamic. And Reese promises Farah they will resume this later. And he tells Moore to go away. I need to primp. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so Farah goes into the bathroom after Reese to go clean up. And she realizes he's like calming himself down <laughs> with an an actual ice cold bath, <laughs> like ice cold, like ice water. <laughs> oh man! Oh my god, I love it. <laughs> I enjoy that. <sighs> so, chapter six. Before we know it, sexy time is over, and we're in the human city, surrounded by darkness. Boo. Not the comforting darkness of the night court, but the decaying, horrible, gross darkness of the court of nightmares. And we get a third person perspective from Moore for this lovely chapter. Yay. More, more. More, more. We want more, more. <laughs> um, so she comments on Reese, arrogant as always, and just smirks and quote unquote apologizes for interrupting the celebrations. And then she notes that Farah straight up dismisses everyone. Like, it's like, be gone. And I I just think this is a... It was like three words. But it's foundational to our understanding of Farah is now the High Lady. You know, we don't need to have Reese making a statement about her being the person that she is about her kind of taking charge of that status as high lady. They they listen to her now. They they know she is the real deal. And I oh, think yeah. they also understand that it's not just the repercussions that would come from Reese. I think they're terrified of what she can do. Oh, a thousand percent. And she's very much stepped into her power and is very confident too, which I think is unnerving for them as well. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love mm-hmm. it. She's just the perfect counterpart to Reese. Because Hinfera's so interesting because I just see her as this just like sweet, kind, loving. Like when I do my cosplay of Farah, I'm like little girl grinning with like my cozy white sweater on, like mm-hmm. nice and innocent, like not even innocent, just sweet and kind, you know, not this not this this mask that restons. She mm-hmm. has literally replicated that mask. And yes. and she is able to flawlessly execute every time she's in this situation and I adore that. 
Oh, yeah. I love her. Oh, I love it. So more watched on. And again, we can't help but slip into the past. And we slip as not only she's looking at her father, but she's also looking at the man responsible for the most pain she's ever experienced in her life. We slip back into the exact memory of what happened with Eris all those years ago. Mm-hmm. And this flashback is terribly vivid. Yes, it is. Terrific. And we immediately flash back to more laying on the grass, unable to move, unable to do anything other than feel the horrible agony of iron nails pierced through her. So we know Eris wasn't the one that did this to her. No. At all. It was her her father. It was, yeah, it was essentially her father and his men, but... Where Eris comes into play is he finds her. He's the first one to find her, him and his men. And he approaches her with his men. And his men are almost like wanting to help her. And he just simply says, no one touches her. Don't touch her. Nothing. And he comes down to her and he just asks, I take it you do not want to live here, Morrigan. To which she simply feels rage, pain, desperation, all of it. And he, even though she didn't say see, say anything, he saw it all. He said horrible things and then forced his men to just walk away and leave her there alone. Okay, so if we are, if we are in the boat of Eris gets a redemption arc, mm-hmm. do you think he left her there for the purpose that the only way she would be taken out of this situation is for him to leave her there. Yes. My theory of the situation is that Eris had to act the way that he acted to be, you know, his role of himself. Right. I mean, he's not going to, if he's in character, he's not going to help her at all. Right. But I'm wondering if maybe, Yes, leaving her there was not bringing her back to the autumn court where she definitely wouldn't have been happy. But leaving her there and then maybe even hopefully secretly tipping off the night court as to where she is or that she needs help. That's what I'm hoping is what happened. Right, because, you know, where we're at, she got dumped from the court of nightmares, right? She's Mm -hmm. dumped at the borders of the autumn court. And so which is why Eris was the one to find her. But if he's the only one that knows, him and his men are the only ones that know that she was even dumped at the edge of the border. Mm-hmm. You know, Baron doesn't know. Right. His brothers don't know. No one knows of this until afterwards, at least I think. Um, like, to your point, it is it truly is kind of that perfect, quote unquote, perfect opportunity for her to unsully herself, not only from the Court of Nightmares, but also from the autumn court which just leaves her in this unknown which is again that's where our lovely inner circle comes in and that's where reese and as and Cass. that is literally the foundation of everything they do mm-hmm. you don't have anywhere else to go you come here mm-hmm. you know and they have enough people that i don't have anywhere else to go you come here that they now have the inner circle which is really interesting because if you think about in the last book how mm-hmm. lucian 
is kind of forming his own band of misfits. Yes, he is. You know, it's it's the very it's the exact same thing. You know, the inner mm-hmm. circle is full. We have we have our band of misfits. We we mm-hmm. don't have room for more misfits. <laughs> no. So now we need to, you know, for Lucian, for all of for Vasa, for all of these kind of leftover people that have nowhere to go, they're kind of starting their own inner circle. Which I where love. Where the land up is to be determined, but you know, it's mm-hmm. It is kind of beautiful. It's just awful that it had to start like this. Yes, um, agreed. <laughs> so again, kind of snap back to the present. <clears throat> and Eris and Kier, a couple of, as I fondly call them, steaming piles of garbage. Um, They kind of are beginning to speak, but more only catches the end of the conversation <clears throat> where they're talking about Baron crossing into human lands. Mm-hmm. So that kind of snaps everyone to attention, but there's only one court that borders these human lands people, the spring court. So uh. we have to figure out what the hell is going on from him, what his relations with the autumn court is like, if he's protecting the border, does he have literally anyone left? Like, what the hell is going on with Tamlin and his court? We just, we need to figure it out. We need to know. (laughs) And more, again, she's like daydreaming and at this point, and she's just like, "Uh, I think I'll add Tamlin to my list of people that I'm fantasized killing. Because obviously she's fantasized killing Eris and Kier in, I don't know, every way possible. But For hundreds like, yeah, of years, think, probably. I'm just going to add Tamlin to that list. <laughs> because, quote, it was another day, another female lying on the ground that she would not forget, could not forgive. So again, we have these situations, just like with Cass. Cass has a past history where he saw an Illyrian female, his mother, mm-hmm. be horribly mistreated and eventually killed. More herself experienced that where she was horribly mistreated borderline murdered and so she she just has that perspective Cass has that perspective of I will not allow other women to go through this it is not okay and I'm in my mind I'm just like eat shit Tamlin you may have done the right thing in that battle but you still have a lot of sins to pay for yeah like just he does Bringing Reese back to life and, you know, going against Highburn, it, it's not enough. You fucked up. Yeah, it doesn't erase Just, that. Yeah, we all did the right thing. Just because you decided to do the right thing doesn't mean you get some sort of preferential treatment because no one expected it of you. Right. You know, that's that's like kind of that um, in the same vein of like, if you're typically the one that does all of the chores and then your partner does like takes the garbage out and expects praise for it. It's like, no, that's, that's literally your expected thing to do. And just because you never do it and you decided to do it doesn't mean I'm going to coddle you. It means that you're doing the bare minimum and you're still not taking 50% of the responsibility. So, um, you want, you want me to say good job, do all the chores. Yeah. I'll praise you all day long. Yep. Do it all or extra something. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So, you know, it just kind of reminds me of that. I think I see a lot of, um, which a little bit of a side tangent, but I see a lot of um, 
really constructive advice from because I follow a lot of therapists on Instagram Mm -hmm. just with like general like grief trauma you know relationship advice and there are a lot of um, partners out there you know that have kind of made accounts that talk about their perspective and they talk about it from the from exactly what I said where it's like you you have to both take responsibility for stuff and just because you do one thing doesn't mean you deserve praise because you're still not doing what's expected of you like you don't praise the other person for doing a majority of chores or things like that and I you know I just I just think that's funny in the realm of Tamlin because we kind of trick our brains to be like wow he did the right thing good job Tamlin when in reality it's like no you just you did the same thing that everyone else did right and we fell victim to that a couple episodes ago where we're like, oh, like he's we did good job. And then now we're like, mm, yeah, OK, we're quickly reminded of the full picture. Oh, yeah. 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 Like, again. like, nice job. You didn't do the awful, awful thing that you were going to do. Yay. Right. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> anyway, that was kind of a Tamlet. A, ta- a Tamlet. <laughs> a, a Tamlet. <laughs> a tangent. A Tamlin. Well, that was a Tamlin. <laughs> that was quite the Tamlin. Um, oh my god! <laughs> but yeah, I think that's important to remember with a lot of these individuals because even we we touch on that a little bit with like Devlin. We get a little bit of you know different perspectives on things. I think in the next episode, um, and we kind of get that with with everyone. To be honest, you know when they when they don't do something horrible and we're expecting them to. Yeah, we have to kind of remember and compare them to the uh, control group. <laughs> compare to the control, yeah. Or it's not a proper research study, guys. That's right. Otherwise, your hypothesis is not Invalid. going to be yeah, valid. Um, so, again, Moore is kind of still daydreaming at this point. But Reese is like, okay, this conversation is over and done with. And we get a little bit of a vulnerable side from Moore. Um, because again, we're seeing this from her perspective and she desperately wants to find some venom to spit at them, but she just is unable to find the right words to tear these two horrible males down. So she simply turns in her bright, beautiful, radiant gown and she walks away. (sighs) I love that she chooses to wear bright colors. Like that's very much noted. She does that on purpose. I love that about her because when you think about more, she really is just like this bright person and I just love her. I love, I love everything about her. Yeah. She is. She's beautiful. She's magical. I love her too. (laughs) Oh man. Well, I want you guys to make sure you read chapters seven through nine to be prepared for our next episode. And thank you so much for choosing to be a part of our book club. As always, we appreciate your support. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcast, and follow us on Instagram and TikTok at House of Wind Pod. Email us your theories or burning questions to House of Wind Podcast at gmail.com. And all of this information can be found in the show notes. We'll talk to you next week. Have a merry, merry Christmas and happy yes. holidays. Happy holidays. <laughs> Stay smutty. <laughs>